This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hello there, everybody. What a strange yet wonderful summer we are having. August has been unnaturally chilly, but my lawn is dead, and now I have a thriving meadow filled with delightful pollinator plants. It's simply amazing when you switch your lawn over to natives. I have never seen so many birds in my front yard. It makes me realize what a dead zone my lawn really was. I hope you're also enjoying the native flowers and trees in your yard. This is that bittersweet time of the year where you know summer is coming to a close, but you still want to enjoy every sunny, warm day you can. I think we've got a great show for you today. Today, we have Marie Chiapo back on the show to talk about the recent Cultivate 23 conference and how the horticultural industry is finally taking a look at some viable alternatives to plastic pots. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. And now I'd like to welcome back to Bird Hugger, Marie Chiapo. Marie's been on the show before and we talked about some very important issues regarding the recycling of plastic in the horticultural industry. So Marie, I'd like to welcome you back. It's great to have you back on the show. Thank you, Catherine. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Now you have some uh, updates for our listeners about the plastic recycling dilemma in the horticultural industry. You attended a conference called Cultivate 23. Could you tell our listeners what that is and, and what happened? So Cultivate 23, or Cultivate itself, is the largest horticultural trade show in the country. And it's typically held in July. And it ranges from educational programs to the latest products and processes in the horticulture industry. So I was invited to be a participant on a panel by HC Companies, which is a company that produces plastic horticultural plant pots. And I was joined by Monrovia Plants and Ball Horticulture. So the conversation was focused around the issue of where we stand now with the plastic pots conundrum and where we see ourselves going in the future. And just to reiterate, what we discussed in the last show that you were on. Could you just give our listeners uh, just a, a basic overview? Basically, I think in the last show, you said that China has refused to take any more plastic from us, and we have burgeoning landfills now filled with non-recyclable plastic containers from the horticultural industry. 
Yes. So back in 2017, China banned a lot of the plastic exports from us, and we found ourselves literally in a mess. We didn't have the infrastructure in place to handle the plastic. And I'm sure as many of your listeners know, there is a huge problem with plastic pollution overall. The study that I researched and authored for the Association of Professional Landscape Designers in 2020 indicated that 95 to 98% of the plastic pots that we see in nurseries and that as a landscape designer, I purchase at nurseries end up in landfills. And aside from the fact that we have an inadequate infrastructure for recycling, it's a very complicated product to recycle for reasons being it's hard to collect. It's They're made out of many different types of plastic. The color black cannot be detected by optical readers. The value of the plastic typically is very low. So it's not a material that recyclers and folks that are interested in using post-consumer resin content in buying. So it has resulted in, as I put it, the black thumb on the horticulture industry. And uh, I'm trying to find ways to get ourselves out of this mess. So tell me about Cultivate 23. Where was it held and how many people attended? It's attended by thousands, thousands upon thousands, ranging from people that are professors to company owners to material engineers to folks like myself, landscape designers. It's pretty much attended by many people, the majority of people that are in the green industry. And the green industry is a constantly expanding industry. So you can only imagine each year it seems to get bigger and bigger because there are more topics to be discussed and more products to be showcased. So it's an annual convention that gives everyone the chance to get together, share information and ideas, and also to do some, I would think, really important networking. Absolutely. I saw people that I had spoken to when I did the research that I had not met in person and just people that are involved in the industry in many ways. So tell me now, I'm just curious because I'm sure this conference attracts uh, not just native gardeners, but also the traditional non-native. What do you think the percentage was? This was, so I've never been to one of these conferences. I have followed each year the content, what is being covered. I have to say this was the first year in a long time that they had a number of sessions on native plants, which made me very happy because that those are the plants that I focus on with my work. I did attend a session that I thought was really, really interesting about consumers' perspectives of native plants. And the reason I'm mentioning this to you is... In this study, they found that one of the highest values that people that plant with native plants have is the concern about what happens with plastics. And they they didn't at all mention plastic pots. They didn't mention at all anything that was hort related, but just the overall environmental concern of what to do with plastics. So it was a definite aha moment for me, which was very validating The fact that what really bothered me about all of this when I first started doing the research is the work I focus on is 
to improve the environment. All I do is organic work. Uh, I use organic materials, organic practices, and I show up on these properties with hundreds of pots that have the beautiful plants in them, but nonetheless, I have hundreds of pots that I then need to figure out what to do with. I know that feeling. You know, every spring I get lots of natives from, there are three different sources I usually get them from. They arrive, I'm all excited. I plant them in the places where I planned, and then I go up on my back porch to look at the piles and piles of plastic pots that are now empty and have to be dealt with. And it's just like, oh. It is such a downer. It is a downer. And I have many people contacting me who have the same concern. And there's a fair amount of, I refer to it as wish cycling, where people put material into bins, kind of crossing their fingers at the same time and and hoping that it's going to end up somewhere. It's going to end up somewhere and it's going to be dealt with responsibly. And unfortunately, it's not happening. So there's a nursery uh, that I currently work at who is working and trying really hard to figure out what to do with their plastic. And I have to tell you that it just breaks my heart when I see them throw them into those bins because then I see the recycling truck come and I know where it's going. I know where it's not going. (laughs) Right. So it's almost a painful experience, actually, to see that. So, it is. It's very painful. So I should mention before Cultivate came, before I attended Cultivate, I was interviewed for an article that came out in the July-August issue of the American Gardener, where I discussed what's happening currently with the issue of plastic pots and the problems associated with it. However, I did lead the journalist to individuals that I am working with who are beginning to find solutions for how we can take a multi-pronged approach at dealing with this material. That was one of the reasons, just to back up for a second, why I thought the Cultivate talk was so valuable because we had, I was sitting next to a POTS manufacturer who has actually been manufacturing alternative materials for quite a while. They started with the fabric POTS, the fiber-based POTS, And now they have pots that are made out of uh, bioplastic material. And one of the largest growers in the country, you know, a a company that represents, again, not only a large grower, but the overall industry. So what was fascinating to me and what was so made me feel so good was we were speaking to growers. That was in large part our audience. And the reception was wonderful. It gave me faith that people are willing to open their minds and try materials that have not been used for the past 50 years because they themselves are seeing that it's contributing to a huge problem. And by being there with those people, I've since sort of created an alliance. So I have a new website, sustainableplantpots.org, where I will be posting information about these meetings and these ideas that were circulating about how together these panelists and myself can start to get things, get the momentum moving a bit faster. So sorry to, for that little sidetrack there, but getting back to the article, it discussed East Jordan Plastics based in Michigan, who I visited over the spring and how they are basically 
the largest, if not the primary recycler of plastic pots. And they've been working with large growers for, for a fair amount of time. Not in my mind, not enough growers, but there's only one company. So there's just so much they can do. But and the other individual that was interviewed is based out of Pride's Corner in Connecticut. And this company is an incredibly sustainably oriented company. And they not only compact and bale their own pots, which East Jordan then comes down to sell them new pots and takes back this plastic so that they can use the material for their new pots. But they're also collecting the pots and they're being brought to Pride's Corner from the states of Connecticut, Maine, and Vermont. And so they have drop-off sites at various locations throughout those states. And that material is collected by Pride's Corner. And then again, East Jordan comes down and picks it up and brings it, brings it up. So I am in the process of, of trying to get some momentum going with the idea of creating hubs. So Pride's Corner is just one example in this country, a nursery that is taking it upon themselves to find answers to this issue so that, you know, they know, at least they know the material is being used. So Pride's Corner is definitely doing their part. And I'm working with some local nurseries here to see if I can get them to also be participants. And HC companies, of course, who, as I mentioned, is a company that is working very hard to reduce the amount of plastic that they're using. So not only in terms of alternative materials, but the actual amount of, of material that is going from them to a nursery or to a grower. So they just came out with this new tray that has much less plastic in it. That's easy for growers to use and work with, which, you know, is all good. It's all good. So it's um, the word is spreading and I'm just keeping my fingers crossed and I'm keeping my foot on the accelerator. <laughs> That is wonderful. So tell me, what was the title of your talk at Cultivate 23? It was Sustainable Materials, Sustainable Approaches in Horticulture. And our intention was to zoom in on the plastic pots issue. And that's what we did. And it received wonderful, wonderful attention from the media and from the participants. And I'm happy to say that people are more interested than they were before in the entire issue. So we'll see. We shall see. Well, I think that is great. Now, tell our listeners about the uh, article in American Gardener. They contacted you and interviewed you. What what was the uh, issue that the article came out in so we can all go look it up? It was in the July-August issue of the American Gardener, which is published by the American Horticultural Society. In it, I, of course, mentioned you know, the fact that APL, the Association of Professional Landscape Designers, is an organization that I contracted with to do the paper, and I'm still on their committee with their wonderful initiative, Healthy Pots, Healthy Planet, that everybody should sign up for to show that they're committed to reduce the amount of plastic that we use in our pots. And I always say that I've added an R to the three R's, which is recycling, reusing, and repurposing, and that is redesign. So to me, it seems that by redesigning these pots with alternative materials and redesigning, which is happening, the process by which 
pots are transported, or I should say plants are transported from growers to nurseries to consumers. I see that as the sustainable future in terms of plant containers. To be a little bit more specific, there's a company called Blackmore based in Michigan that has this wonderful innovative technique where they are growing plants in LE pots, which are fiber-based pots, and they grow them in air trays. So trays where the roots are exposed after they start to mature, and it's called air pruning. And then they take the plant and they remove it from the tray and they they sort of surround it with this cardboard sleeve that has all the information that a person would need to know about this plant. So we've removed the plastic, the trays that they're using are made of a very sturdy, hard plastic that, that can be used time and time again. And there are no tags, there are no plant tags. So innovation like this, I think we're gonna be seeing much more of. Lastly, in terms of what's happening with the container industries, they're aware, as Tom Marting from HC Companies spoke of at Cultivate and has mentioned to me many times of the extended producer responsibility laws that are coming into play. And California, of course, being the largest state and the first state to create you know, a much more or create these EPR laws that actually have some teeth. And in preparing for this transition, HC in particular is prepared to, and I I believe, you know, the people at Blackmore too, or whoever else out there that I'm not aware of, there may be somebody, but I haven't heard of them, are preemptively acting because they don't want to be at the oh no moment when these laws come into into place and they have a year or two to completely transform the way that they're growing material and the products that these container companies are producing. Well, we shall see, but it's sort of putting a little fear in the plastic industry's minds that this is something that they really need to be aware of. Right. And these manufacturers will follow the consumers if consumers push enough in one direction. And I think in terms of, so I say my take is that by and large, these containers are uh, single use plastics. And according to the EPA, a container is something that holds material for a year or less. And there's lots of plastic out there in the growing industry, in the hort industry, that material is in for 12 months or less. And um, I was told by an organization that I'm affiliated with that it's something that I would need to go to a lawyer (laughs) to, to have that, you know, really considered. But I bring this up because in the foods industry, we're finding some really huge changes taking place. We're seeing a lot of effort and a lot of publicity about what's taking place with let's get rid of the, you know, the plastic takeout containers. Let's get rid of the plastic forks and the plastic knives. And to me, we need to get rid of the plastic pots. We need to get rid of the plastic cell packs that are made out of such a fragile plastic that there's no way it can be reused. I think it's a, an industry that 
we sort of have to put ourselves parallel with if we can while the attention is being paid that way. I have to say, going back to what you said earlier about the plastic plant ID tags, I didn't even think about those as a problem, but oh my goodness, you know, by the end of the spring, I have handfuls and handfuls of these plastic plant ID tags. I'm sure I'm like your average gardener. I mean, I find them everywhere. I find them in the junk drawer in the kitchen. I find them yep. in the uh, my date calendar used as a bookmark. I find them uh, in all the pockets of my raincoats and my spring jacket, you know, my gardening coat that I wear when I'm out in the chilly weather. I mean, they just end up everywhere. And I think keep thinking, well, I'm going to reuse them. I'll find some way. I never do because once I transfer that I planted to my uh, planner, my handwritten planner, there's no need for the tags anymore. And the adhesive that has the picture and the information about the plant, you can't get that adhesive off. So they're just not candidates for recycling. So, man, if someone could think of a, a better way to do plant ID tags that is sustainable, I think it would be a big help. Well, at, at Cultivate, I did see some companies that are starting to make fiber-based ones. There are also companies that are trying to use natural-based you know, inks and things that they can use on the sides of containers. But keep in mind that a lot of growers are identified, and I'm, now I'm just thinking about the pots themselves and their tags, is the color and the branding on, on those tags and on those containers. So if you put a plant in your in your yard, let's say you put 10 of them, and that grower wants people to know that they were the ones to grow this plant, or yes, to grow this plant, you're going to be pulling that out of the ground so to show people, say, hey, this is the plant that I bought, and this is the one, this is the company that grew it. This was the, the company that quote unquote created it. So they have a lot of reason to want them to stay that way just to, you know for the tags to be there it's a matter of can we find a better way of, of distributing that information and, and i'm sure people are on it probably not to the degree that i'm even aware of it but one thing, <laughs> one thing i can tell you is east jordan plastics again they recycle labels if i had millions of dollars Catherine, i wouldn't open up a company similar to theirs <laughs> right <laughs> right such a need for it there is you, such a need for it. Yeah, you need investors. I do. As a matter of fact, they're opening up another plant in Georgia because, you know, the growers that are located in the South are much greater than what we even have here. That's for sure. And at West. So, yeah, they're, they're following they're following the material, if you will. Right. But they're trying really hard to do the right thing. I've had people say to me, but that's not a good enough answer because mm. it's still producing plastic. And my response to that is, no, it's not the most sustainable answer, but it's better than it going into a landfill and leaching chemicals into the groundwater and, and into the soil. Exactly, so yeah. I think it's going to take some time. As a matter of fact, all the plastics that we have in our environment now already would take thousands of years to break down. So, you know, we're talking about billions and billions and billions of plastics. I think that's why you have a whole sector, especially of native gardeners who are choosing to plant from seed now. They just don't want to deal with the plastic. So they are right. doing the outdoor winter seed planting so that they have little seedlings in the spring and they're nursing them all through, you know, the spring to the fall and 
and then transplanting them uh, where they need to be because they just don't want to deal with plastic anymore. So you have a pretty kind of hardline sector there that is done with plastic. Absolutely. Um, people that are aware of organic approaches to landscaping and their gardens and plants that are healthy for pollinators and birds. Yeah, they're up on top there of the list of people that are aware of what's happening, other things that are happening in the environment. Now, on the last show, when you were on the last time, we talked about there already are some alternatives to plastic that are floating around out there. We talked about the uh, company making uh, four packs and six packs out of cow dung that's dried so that you can actually plant the uh, part of the four pack or the six pack in the ground with the plant and the cow dung actually helps the plant. So that's one alternative. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that's not a viable alternative for commercial growers. So that's fine for, you know, small plants. It doesn't transport well. So if you're talking about quart size to a gallon plant, it's just not going to transport well. And it's once it gets to the, the homeowner, you just can't rely on what did or didn't happen to it as it was brought to the nursery. So people are definitely thinking in those directions. Unfortunately, you're not going to find a grower in the large industry who's going to say, okay, I'm willing to put this plant or this tree or this what have you into that, into that pot. And the same thing with the cow pots, right? And a lot of other material. I mean, what also is happening is there are growers who, I have a friend who's a propagator who is using the fiber-based pots. And she feels a lot better about the products that she's growing and selling to people because she uses plastic to grow material in, but she's not sending it away to a nursery. For them to then deal with. And White Flower Farm in Connecticut has been doing a great job using fiber-based as well as, is it, I'm trying to think of the company, is it Blue Moon Nursery? Forgive me, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, that have been sending out plants this season that are in, you know, fiber-based pots. So there is a following. There are people that are doing this, but when you think about proven winners, when you think about these large, large companies that we find what you know at the large box stores, the other material is not going to be as reliable as what they would say is as their plastic. And so that's why I think that the bioplastics is the next best step for us. The one caveat I have about bioplastics is how we need to be prepared for how to deal with this material. So bioplastics can be, they're biodegradable, but you can't put them in the ground and expect them to disappear, you know, within the next two years. So we're talking about the need for industrial composting facilities, which are facilities that can control the temperature and the amount of moisture that bioplastics are exposed to, so they will break down faster. But again, it's much better than toxic plastic oils and so forth being emitted into the environment. It's a million times better. Now, just going back to fiber-based pots, when you say fiber-based pot, do you mean peat moss? No, no, no. If anything, people are moving away from peat moss because of the environmental concerns with it and, and the over-harvesting. There are pots, for example, that are made out of newspaper that 
is mixed with water and some other ingredients, organic ingredients that create this slurry almost that then they mold into the fiber based the fiber pots. That's it's, and I know HC companies is now using, I don't know if it's wood pallets. I can't recall exactly what material it's coming from, but it's wood. It's wood based. So they're getting material from Canada and other parts around the country for that. And they're not taking down trees for it. <laughs> Let me just say that in advance. I mean, they're they're ethically ethically forested. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So there's, right. there's quite a bit happening. My head spins trying to keep track of it all, but it's still very much design season for me. So I'm really involved in that. I'm sure over the winter season, I'll be catching up on this again. And as I said, I am continuing the conversation with these people from the companies that I mentioned to, to see how we can get the word out more and see how we can couple up with people and organizations that are also interested in seeing that the plastics be reduced. Well, Marie, the work you're doing is just so important. You're a mover and a shaker. You know what I mean? You're getting people to act, which I think is fantastic, you know, just by educating them. Yes. I mean, and that's it. And I have to admit, however, that when we first came out with this report, I felt sort of a, you know, people were bummed out <laughs> by what I was telling them. <laughs> and I can understand that. Nobody wants to really hear the message of, okay, we're creating this huge mess and that's the end of the story. So at least we're at, at a juncture where I feel that there's some progress being made and it's going to be more widely spread. Certainly within the next couple of years, you're going to be seeing alternative materials on the market much more than you certainly do now. Right. I think, you know, kind of what you're fighting is gardening is like the number one hobby out there for Americans. It's it's definitely in the top five oh, absolutely. favorite hobbies. So people yes. just want to do what they've always done. They don't want to change anything. But I think you're convincing them by just making some slight changes in one direction. You can benefit nature and the, and the ecosystem in some really significant ways. Absolutely. I have these photos of beautiful trees, but with, you know, pollution, you know, plastic pollution beneath them. And there's no perfect. There's no such thing as perfect. We're never going to reach perfect, but we can do better. That's how I view it. We can do better. I'd like to thank Marie Chiepo for joining us today. You can find out more about her consulting work by going to ecoplantplans.com. Join Americans everywhere in the one-third for the birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on one-third for the birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now. Bye for now.